Um, it really is a joy to uh, be here this morning with you, and particularly to have the opportunity to share God's Word. There, there are two things that I, I remember about, I mean, many things I remember about Christ Community Church. One is what an impact it had on Vessie's life. And uh, just last Sunday, I was in church, and I was standing next to Vessie, and we were worshiping at the closing song, and you know, I put my arm on her, and I kind of rubbed her shoulder, and I, you know who I thought of? I thought of seeing Kevin do that with Janet 15 years ago in the front. And I was just, and I, I, you know, even when I don't want to, you know, in marriage, sometimes you don't want to do these things, but I just, I remember that example, and that was just a, a taste of the example Kevin and Janet set for us as we were starting off on our marriage, and, and I still remember every time I do that in church, I'm like, okay, I do that, I remember Kevin and Janet and their love and their faithfulness, so it's, it's really exciting to be here and chance to share God's word with you. I'm going to be, um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 13, and so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps where you could just listen, um, and I'll read to us, and then, then we'll hear uh, from the Lord. To the choir master, Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. When you pray with me. Father, may you do a deep and good work in us individually, in our families, in this community. Uh, this morning as we hear your word, may your truth sink deeply into our minds and our hearts. May it bring life and transformation and hope and encouragement and remind us of just how good you are. May you have your way with us for the sake of our journeys and walks and relationship with you, but ultimately for the sake of your glory and your honor and your name. And so we pray this by the power of your spirit and in the name of your son, amen. When Vess and I left here you know, 15 years ago, it was, we were young and newly married and kind of the world was at our feet and we were excited about all the things that it had in store and full of enthusiasm and joy and, and all those you know, good experiences and hopes and expectations. But as many of you know, life doesn't always, doesn't ever stay so smooth and comfortable as it does in those early days, it would seem. And, and so over the last few years particularly, um, there have been a number of hardships in our lives uh, and in my personal life. And one of those has been uh, struggling through the grief of my father passing away a few years ago from cancer. And often throughout those nine months in which he was a terminal and then the, probably the year afterwards, there were so many people coming around me who were praying that during this time of grief and sadness, I would experience the intimacy and the comfort and the presence of my heavenly father. And as I entered into this season, that was what I expected to experience, that now more than ever, I would surely um, experience the Father's comfort of me and his intimacy with me and his presence as he carried me uh, through this season. And I desperately wanted to experience this. But instead, during the, the sad season of sadness and grief, I had never experienced my Father in heaven being so distant 
and so silent in my life. Um, it was as if he was not there at all. All those prayers had gone and unanswered. And as you can imagine, I was confused and overwhelmed and I was struggling with grief and I was angry all the time and I was um, just upset and barely hanging on. And, and I realized as I look back on that time, it wasn't just that God was silent to me, but I was silent in my response to God. I did not know what to say to him. I did not know how I could approach him when I was so overcome with sorrow. I did not have the words to express the sadness that was in my heart. I did not know how to pray in that season. I could pray when things were going well. I could pray when I wanted things. But how do you pray when your heart is heavy with sadness? And I did not have a song in my soul that would express what was going on in my heart. And as I journey with InterVarsity staff, staff, this is uh, one of the things that comes up at different times as we see these incredibly gifted and passionate and effective ministers of the gospel suddenly encounter a season of their life in which they are struggling, in which things are failing around them, in which they are suffering from grief or uh, sadness. And yet they have to keep going on campus and they have to keep sharing the gospel and they have to keep doing ministry. But what's going on in their souls? What's happening in their relationship with their father? Are they drawing closer to them or do, do they draw further away? There are staff who have suffered miscarriages, who are rejected by their parents because they've gone to top schools and their parents have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and then they've graduated and because Jesus has got a hold of their life, they've not gone into a career that would make lots of money and gone into ministry where they raise support and their parents have disinherited them and disowned them. What happens between them and their father in heaven when that is going on in their life? Or a colleague of mine at the moment is suffering from Parkinson's. What does prayer sound like in those seasons? What song can they sing that expresses the heaviness in their, in their hearts? This, this is part of my role. This is part of my calling is to come alongside them and help them learn how to pray during these seasons so that they continue to thrive in their faith and in their ministry. And Psalm 13 gives us a clue, a way to move forward. It helps them sing this song. And what is true of me and what is true of my colleagues in ministry is obviously true of you guys as well. Because all of us, in different degrees, have experienced grief and sorrow and sadness. There is not one of us for whom this is not true to some degree. A heavy heart. It might be that there is a relationship that is broken in your life. You barely talk with your parents or siblings. You are struggling with a child who's grown up or in a marriage that is empty of affection and grace and passion that it used to once have. Or maybe you're in a season where a loved one is struggling with sickness or dementia or suffering from a long-term illness. Or perhaps you are struggling with depression or anxiety. Or maybe you continue to feel the weight of loss of a parent, a friend, or a child through a miscarriage. And then there are all the issues that are going on and raging around us in the world, right? I mean, we're just in this political season and there are all the issues that come up with that. And then there's the, the concern many of us have for the poor and for race relations, and for the lives of the unborn, and for sex trafficking, and poverty, and the wars that are raging around the world. It just, it just goes on and on. And I'm aware of how heavy this sounds. Normally a missionary comes in and it's all like good news and exciting things. But I, I really believe this is important for us to look at, because we're looking at a, a lament this morning, a, a, a psalm that's one of the most common types of psalms that is found, that, a psalm that responds to a world that is broken and full of sin. And so it's right for us to kind of create this space to recognize that there are things in this world that make our hearts heavy. 
And it's right to create space for us to recognize there are things in our hearts at the moment that make us, our hearts full of sadness and heavy. And the question then is, how do we respond as believers when we're in these moments, when our hearts are heavy with sadness? How do we respond specifically to our Father in heaven in these times? What is our relationship gonna be like? How are we going to pray? What do we pray? Do we rage against him or do we find rest in him? Do we reject him or do we receive him? Do we distance ourselves from him or do we come closer towards him? Do we simply drift spiritually until that season is over or do we use this season to mature in our faith? Do we become apathetic about God and Christian things or do we become even more passionate about him? For many of us, we kind of find ourselves somewhere in between. But what is, the, what is the song that we sing, the prevailing song that we sing in our hearts when we find ourselves overwhelmed with sadness? My hope is that as we walk through Psalm 13, these words of lament will give us a song to sing when our hearts are heavy. These will move us to pray because ultimately this is a psalm about prayer. It tells us that when our hearts are heavy, let us sing a song of lament to our Father in heaven. And it doesn't matter if your heart isn't heavy at the moment. I don't want you to kind of feel like, oh man, I'm really happy this morning. (laughs) Like I came in here like really excited and my life is going great and now I'm feeling really down now, (laughs) right? Uh, So that's, I don't want to kind of quench your joy and your your happiness and and if everything's going well in your life, that's wonderful. I wish I could be here next week and would preach a psalm of thanksgiving and praise, right, to balance it out. Um, But consider this kind of advanced preparation. Right? And some of us are, you know, we're going through small things where there's just a, a little bit of sadness in our lives, and some of us are going through things that are completely overwhelming, that many of us would look and go, I don't know how I'd live if I was suffering through what you're suffering through. And so we recognize we're all at different places. Uh, but my hope is that this will begin to give us a song to sing. Um, and there are three verses in this song of lament that we're going to look at that give expression, that give us a way to pray when we have sadness and are overwhelmed with sorrow. The first verse is where we question our Father. The second verse is where we demand action from our Father. And the third verse is where we find rest in our Father. We start with questioning, then we move to demanding, and we come to resting. So let's look at how we question our Father. Verse one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Four times we hear David say, how long, how long, how long, how long? He's questioning his God. Another way of putting it, he's interrogating God. He's demanding that God answer his questions. He's not gonna give up because things are going on in David's life where God has him in a place where he is stretching out the pain and suffering and David cannot understand how this makes sense. Why would God, who is able to not bring this to an end, Why does it go on day after day, week after week, month after month, for David probably year after year? And in David's cries, we catch a glimpse of the three areas of his life where his heart is heavy. First, in his experience with his God, with his Lord. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In scriptures, forgetting is often balanced with remembering. And to remember someone in scripture is to act on their behalf. So to forget someone is to not act when you could to help them. And so David is saying, how long will you forget me? How long will you refuse to act in my life to make things better? And then he goes on and says, uh, how long will you hide your face from me? To hide your face from someone in Scripture is to literally abandon them. And so you could feel that pain on David's soul where he's saying, how long will you continue to refuse to act on my behalf? And how long will you abandon me? 
Will you have nothing to do with me? And so you feel the, the, just the pain of David's experience with God. And he questions his God, how long will this last? And why have you not brought it to an end? And his suffering also impacts his mental and his emotional state. He's forced to take counsel in his, in his own soul and have sorrow in his heart all the day. In other words, his mind is in turmoil. How many of you are like me? When your mind is in turmoil, you could start thinking just when you're about to go to bed and then your mind starts churning. And then it's like hours before you finally find some rest. Because there's just this inner turmoil that is going on. And David said, my, my heart is in turmoil. My heart is overwhelmed. He is confused, he is restless, and he can't understand what is happening. It's overwhelming for him. So he cries out, how long is this going to last? Why, Lord, have you not ended this? And then he turns, he looks out to the world around him, and he sees his enemy looking down on him in triumph. And in that moment, David experiences the pain of seeing those who are opposed to him gloat over his suffering. They are rejoicing because he is in so much pain. And he doesn't understand why his Lord will not end this so that his enemies would be proved wrong. My friends, what happens between you and your Father in heaven when your heart is heavy and there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel? What is going on in your faith? What happens in your times of prayer? Maybe every time someone you know encounters racism, a dear friend, and your heart just breaks for them. And it happens day after day, week after week in their lives. Or every time you hear a story of a mother who miscarries or a child who does not live to feel the embrace of their parents. Or you walk into hospital and you see people suffering all around you. Or in your marriage, you just realize that you're in a dark place and there just seems to be no hope. You have no idea how this marriage is going to turn around. Or how your children are going to turn around from the, the paths that they're on. What song do you sing to your father? What do you pray when this just seems to go on and on and on? For many of us, I imagine if anything like me, we find it very difficult to say anything to God during these times. We don't know what to say. When he seems to have abandoned us and when he knows he can act but he doesn't seem to make any difference in our lives. This psalm gives us a starting place by inviting us to question our Father from the depths of our hearts and souls to cry out in anguish to Him. This means we have to have some awareness of what is happening in our hearts, that we haven't denied the sadness and the sorrow and the questions. We've not swept it under the rug. We have not distracted us with the latest technology or, or busyness of our lives, but we've created space to know this is what I'm really feeling. This is really what is going on in my life and in my relationship with my Father. And then we throw questions at God that are plaguing us, that we don't have anyone else to turn to. We interrogate him. We question him. We continue to come back at him and say, how long will I feel like you've abandoned me? When are you actually going to do something instead of ignoring the situation that I'm in? Why won't you ease my fears? When will you take this burden from me? Why do you let these evil people continue to succeed all the time? When will they be brought to justice? Why do you let this pain go on and on and on and on and not do anything? How long, O oh Lord, will you let this continue in my life? Our willingness to sing this verse in the song of lament and question our Father because it is vital, because it reveals what do we actually believe about our Heavenly Father? Do we believe that He will receive these prayers? He will honor these prayers? He will cherish this honesty and intimacy with Him? Or do we think He's going to look at us and go, you are so weak, you are so immature, 
You do not know the scriptures well enough. You got to get your act together. How dare you question me? My friends, David was a man after the Lord's own heart. He knew the heart and character of his father. And he threw these questions at his Lord and said, how long will you abandon me? Why will you not bring this to an end? If David can do this, who knew the heart and character of God, so must we. Surely, our Father in heaven will receive these prayers when we cry out to him in our sorrow and our sadness. He longs to hear our questions of him. How long, O Lord? But this song of lament does not simply leave us questioning our Father with cries of anguish. On the second verse of the song, the people of God are called to demand that our Heavenly Father respond. They demand, we demand action from him. Verse three and four, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David moves from questioning to demanding that God responds and acts to make a difference. It is an insistence that he do something. He no longer sits on the sidelines any longer, but he makes a real difference in the life of David. Essentially, David demands that God light up my eyes. In other words, he brings healing. He brings restoration. He changed the situation. And his reasons that God must do this is either he does it or David will die. And either God must do this or David's enemies, and thus God's enemies will rejoice because David will be shaken and he will fall. And David is confident. He is confident this is not what God desires. He knows the purposes and the heart of God. And so he demands that God act to make sure this happens. My friends, when you feel hopeless and powerless and helpless, do we demand that our Father act in our lives? Do we come before him insisting again and again that he makes a difference, that he doesn't stay on the sidelines any longer? When Alexi, my oldest, was two and a half, and Ella, my, and my Vessi was pregnant with Ella, who was, you know, just, I think she was just 10 weeks pregnant that time. We went to South Africa to visit my family. So Vessi's from Bulgaria. So we flew from... I think Boston to New York, New York, long flight to Johannesburg. We got to Johannesburg, we got in the line to get immigration, and we got to the, the lady at the immigration desk, and I gave her my South African passport, and Lexi's American passport, and, and Vessi's Bulgarian passport. It was like the rainbow colors of passports, right? It was like kind of blue, red, and green. And she, you know, she stamps my South African passport, she stamps, stamps Lexi's uh, you know, American passport, and then starts paging through Vessi's passport. And then she says, uh, could you please come with me? So we leave the kind of immigration desk and she takes us kind of into the depths and the bowels of the airport through these passageways to this office. And there are these immigration officers behind the desk. And she says to them, uh, this woman doesn't have a visa in her passport. We need to send her back to America. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. We came here three years ago and Bulgarian citizens did not need a visa. And they said the law changed about 18 months ago. Bulgarian citizens now need a visa. She has to get back on a plane that's flying out the next morning back to the States. We cannot let her in. And I was like, we're just coming here for three weeks to see my family. So over Christmas, we're going to spend lots of money. It's going to be good for the economy. You know, like, just can't you let her in? Like, we have a two-year-old here. And, and they said, we can't. We, have no, we are not able to give her a visa. And so we, we had to spend the night in the airport, in the hotel inside the airport. And obviously, I called my family. And I also called my older brother who's a lawyer, right? And I said, can you, can you not do something? We, I've, I've never felt so powerless and hopeless in my life, so trapped. I said, please, please, can you, Daryl, can you do something? 
So he starts researching all the laws, and the next morning we wake up, and he's faxed us all these documents and all these ways in which we can stay in the country. And so we go to the immigration officials, and we say, look, you know, we could pay this money, and there are these reasons why she can stay, and they look at it, and they say, no, we can't issue the visa, I'm sorry. And so there came this moment in which Lexi had fallen asleep in Vessi's arms, and Vessi had to go to, we had to go catch another plane to go to Cape Town, and Vessi had to go catch her plane to go back to New York, and I had to take my daughter out of the arms of her mother who did not want to let her go and turn and walk away and leave her. It was the, one of the hardest things I've ever done as a father. And I got on the plane and I went to Cape Town and by the time I arrived there, my mother was just kind of, come, 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 come quickly. And what happened is my older brother had finally got like some assistant deputy minister of some portfolio up in the government and convinced him that because Vesey was pregnant, it was a health risk for the child in her in a womb to fly another international flight. And so he'd issued a medical emergency. And so Bessie was at the boarding gate an hour from departure and the officials came and got her, took her to that same office, stamped her visa, which they said they could never stamp, with an, uh, uh, passed with a visa. And, and she, two hours later, she was with us in Cape Town. But there was this moment in which I felt completely helpless and hopeless. And what do we do when we feel like that? We reach out to someone who can make a difference in our lives. And yet when... It comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Do we reach out to Him when we feel completely overwhelmed, demanding that He makes a difference? I demanded my brother do something. And he was, he delighted to do it. He spent hours doing it. My friends, when we feel completely overwhelmed, do we insist and demand that our Heavenly Father act in our lives to make a difference? And in order to do this, we need to believe two vital things. First, we need to believe that we are not in control of our lives. Because our default often, most often, is that I am in control and I'm going to fix this problem. And in order to demand that God act, we need to recognize we are not in control. And secondly, we need to believe that our Heavenly Father actually cares about us. He really cares about us. There was a staff worker that I was speaking to who'd gone to Harvard was the most competent, was competent, brilliant. And I was speaking to her and she was getting married and she was struggling with this idea that God somehow wasn't interested in her wedding day. That she, she believed that God cared about her students. She believed that God cared about the campuses. She believed that God cared about everyone else. But she did not believe God cared about her. She could not pray that God would bless her wedding day. She just said, I don't think he's that interested in me. I don't think he cares about me she would not pray for herself my friend some of us struggle with that we actually don't believe God cares he has more important things to do he has more important people there are people who are more hurting more broken more in need of him than me do you really believe that your heavenly father cares deeply about you so that when you cry out to him demanding he acts, he is delighted to act. He is longing to make a difference in your life. What would seeing this verse sound like if you sang it this morning? What specific actions would you demand your heavenly father take? Turn my child's heart to you, Jesus. Reconcile me with my mother or father. End the racism that's leading to so many deaths and so much pain. Set me free from anxiety. Turn my marriage around. End hatred that pervades so much of this country. And so on and so on and so on. Where's your heart filled with sorrow? Where out of this heart of sorrowness will you demand that your father act? 
And who knows, I, you know, perhaps this church will share stories over the coming three to six months of how God has acted in your lives. That in your small groups and in this church and in your friendships, you will say, you know, I, I demanded for three months that God made a difference. And you know what? Let me tell you how much he has changed my life, how much he has acted. This, there could be these testimonies of God's faithfulness and his care and delight in you as a people that, that you just share with one another for months and years to come as you demand and insist that he act in your life. David has been leading us in the song of lament. He's giving us words to pray as we come to our Father, as we question him and demands he responds. And it's this final verse, the third verse of the song, where the, the lament reaches its climax. As David leads us, I think, to the most challenging verse to sing. Because this psalm calls on us, the people of God, to ultimately, when our hearts are heavy with sorrow, rest with our Father. Listen to these final two verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. For me, these verses capture a soul that, though that is, it's heavy and overwhelmed with sorrow, it's a soul that has come to rest with his Lord. It starts with this emphatic, but I, but I, David says, it signals his commitment. And what is his commitment? It is to trust and to rejoice and to sing. A soul that trusts, a soul that rejoices, and a soul that is able to sing even when, especially when, his heart is heavy with sadness is a soul that is content. It is a soul that is at rest. And David gives us the reasons why his soul is at rest in this time of sorrow. It is not just kind of wishful thinking. He trusts in his God's steadfast love. He knows that no matter what he seems to be experiencing and what his experiences seem to indicate about God, he knows that his Lord is steadfast in his love and full of loving kindness. He knows it. And no experience can take that truth away. And his heart rejoices in the salvation God has provided. David knows that the Lord has entered into a covenant with his people and he has promised never to abandon them, to always be their God. He knows that. And this truth causes David's heart to rejoice. And so finally David sings to his Lord because as another translation puts it, the Lord has been good to me. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Even when, especially when, David's heart is filled with sadness. My friends, when our hearts are heavy, when my heart is heavy, it is this verse that I find most difficult to sing, sometimes even impossible to sing. Let me share one specific example. I was talking with someone in my family who's very, very dear to me, and she got a phone call. And on that phone call, this was years ago, she received words of rejection and hurt and betrayal. And as I was watching her, on the, I could just see she's she's this... uh, Person, my family had suffered a lot in her life, and I could just see her face almost crumble in front of me with pain, and my heart just broke. I was just—I over- didn't—I I couldn't do anything to alleviate the suffering she was in. And, and many of us know what that's like to watch a loved one experience deep pain and rejection. And the the next day, I had to go to a national staff conference for our ministry, and it's one of those events where there are kind of you know, thousand, a couple of thousand people, and the first night there's this huge worship you know, kind of set and songs and everyone's kind of so excited to be there and, 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 and I still had this deep burden in my heart. I was just still plagued by this image of watching this person just be in so much pain and suffering and, and suffering alongside her. And this was years ago, but there was this song that we used to sing and maybe you remember it called Blessed Be Your Name. And there's this verse in the song that goes like this. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. And blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering 
Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. And I stood there and I refused to sing that verse. I just said, I cannot sing the verse, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. I cannot say, Lord, blessed be your name in that moment. And I stood there and I just could not do it. I could not bring myself to sing the verse of trust and joy and rest. And perhaps you know what this feels like. Perhaps this is where you are today. If you're reading from sorrow and grief and pain, you cannot sing a verse of resting in your Lord at this time. My friends, what can soften my heart? What can soften your heart so we can rest with our Father when our hearts are heavy? heavy? Surely it is this, that we know even more deeply the love and the salvation and the goodness of our Father because we know his Son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us. You know, when I read this psalm, I automatically put myself in the feet of David. And rightly so, for, for I too am a, a servant of the Lord. But I quickly forget that I once belonged to another people that is mentioned in this psalm, the enemies of God. That like the enemies of God, I once was also opposed to God. I had rejected him, I'd fought against his purposes, I'd sought to prevail over his people. I was an enemy of God. I refused to bow my knee to him as my Lord and my maker. This is who I once was. And this is who we all once were. And perhaps this is who some of you are this morning today. Following a false God of our own making. Insisting that we are lords of our own lives. Setting ourselves up in opposition to God. We are his enemies. We were his enemies. And even now as a child of the Father, I daily oppose the purposes of God in my life. Through my sin and my selfishness. I fall short. But... I am no longer counted an enemy of God, but a child of the heavenly father. I am a new creation. I have a new identity in Christ, all because of who Jesus is and what he has done. He died so that I would no longer be called an enemy, but a friend. No longer be a rebel, but a child. No longer be fighting against God, but being gathered up in the arms of the father and embraced and held and hugged and assured that he loves me no matter what happens. Listen to the psalm again and think of them as the words of Jesus on the cross. He's crying them out again and again on those six hours that he's on the cross when he was nailed there and experiencing the pain of the crucifixion and the pain of the judgment and the wrath of God and the abandonment of the Father. And Jesus is crying out, how long, O Father, will you forget me forever? How long, Father, will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my Father. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But Father, I trust in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to you, Father, even on the cross, because you have been good to me. My friends, what can so move our hearts that we can rest with our Father when we are overcome by sorrow? The truth, the truth that Jesus experienced this psalm in a way that we are never going to have to experience it. For his Father did not respond to him. His Father did not act. And Jesus slept the sleep of death. And the enemy, Satan, and those who nailed him to the cross believed he had prevailed and they rejoiced. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew his father's steadfast love. He knew his father's salvation and he knew his father would deliver him from hell and death and raise him to life. 
And on that cross, he knew that even when he was on that cross experiencing all that he experienced for the sake of his enemies, so that they would become children of God, Jesus then knew that his father remained good all the time, and all the time his father was still good. And because he trusted in his father, those who cling to Jesus experience the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, and we are no longer enemies, but we are children. But not only this, my friends, but the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that this world is not the end. It is the guarantee that one day all things will be made right. And one day, my friends, one day our Father in heaven, is he's gonna come to us and he's gonna say to us, my child, you ask me again and again and again, how long, how long, how long? I am telling you that today, no longer. No longer will you experience pain. No longer will you experience suffering. No longer will tears fall from your eyes. No longer will you taste death. No longer will your heart be filled with sorrow. No longer. It is over. It is done. That is why, my friends, you and I, even though our hearts are heavy with sorrow, we can find rest in our Lord, in our Father. We can trust Him even though the road is marked with suffering and there is pain and offering, we can sing this verse of lament where we rest in our Father though our hearts are heavy with sorrow. In the end then, my friends, Psalm 13 is about communing. It is about being with our heavenly Father, drawing near to Him, not away from Him when our hearts are heavy. It is about finding words and groans to express the pain, singing a song of lament that moves us from questioning to demanding and finally to a place of rest. You know, I, there are times in our house with the, the three kids that, you know, kids cry for no reason, right? Like they, they don't get the right color crayon and they cry, right? Their, their peas mix with their potatoes and they cry, right? They, 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 their sister looks at them in some kind of way, and they start crying, right? They just, kids cry for, and so often in our house, I, I hear myself and others, just stop, why are you crying? Just stop crying, there's no reason to cry, just stop crying. I've stopped saying that as often as I can. And instead I say, just let her cry. She's sad. I might not agree with why she's sad, and we'll have a conversation later about that, right? But just just let her cry. She's sad. Let her cry. My friends, we have to let ourselves cry. We must stop telling ourselves, oh, don't cry. It'll be okay. It's not a big deal. Psalm 13 invites us, commands us, that when our hearts are heavy, we must cry a song of lament to our Father in heaven. A song where we are free because of his unconditional love for us to question him. We are free because we know he cares for us to demand that he acts in our lives. And we are free ultimately because of who we know, Jesus Christ, to find our rest in him. This is a good song to sing. It is a necessary song to sing. And this psalm shows us the way. It invites us to do this. It calls on us as the people of God to sing a song of lament. My friends, may we sing this song in our lives. May we sing it often. 
and may we often sing it together. Amen. Let me pray. Father, you alone know the sadnesses that are touching and um, overwhelming people here this morning. You know what they need to hear. You know the encouragement they need. You know the truth that they need to hear. You know the hope that they need to be reminded of. You know what they need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would send your spirit to take your word, sink it deeply into their hearts and move them to draw towards you so that they can pray, they can sing, they can come to find their rest in you. And so that this would have a profound and deep impact on their lives, on their families, on this church, on this community, on this city, and even to the ends of the earth that this church would be known as a church where those who are sad can come and cry and experience the hope that is found in the gospel and the Father who will not let them go. Amen.